May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In class one day about 15 years ago, Christine Self, a fellow seminarian, declared, God is in charge. I must admit that I instinctively questioned that and wanted to qualify it. On the face of it, this claim seems problematic. The review section of last Sunday's New York Times used photographs to highlight developments of the past year, many of which reflect distressing realities. Rohingya refugees on a makeshift raft escaping the tyranny and injustice of the Myanmar regime. Devastation and grief in war-torn Iraq. Londoners mourning after a terrorist attack. Violence among Americans in Charlottesville, Virginia. Houston houses surrounded by chemical-laden floodwaters. Carnage in Las Vegas after an October shooting spree. And the list goes far beyond that. The other day I was appalled to hear that over 400,000 children are starving to death amid civil war in Yemen. The hardest thing was actually seeing those children on film and the mothers just unable to, to give them anything to eat. Can we really claim that God is in charge given these and other harsh realities? Furthermore, how can God be in charge if God has given us free will? We know from historical study that both individuals and groups make hugely consequential decisions, whether for good or ill. We could counter Christine Self's claim by pointing to God-given human agency as the main force shaping the world. Taking this line of argument, however, we are in danger of imagining a deistic God who created the universe and then passively observes how things play out. This is not the God we know from Scripture. The Bible and this Christmas season highlight God's intimate, passionate, loving, triumphant involvement with creation. The God of the Bible is anything but aloof. My fellow seminarian, Christine, was actually right, as it turns out. God is in charge. We know this by faith based on evidence, despite all appearances to the contrary. Both the Old and New Testaments tell us that there is a divine logic to the universe. God has a plan for creation and is constantly working toward the fulfillment of that plan. Genesis describes the creation of order out of chaos and God's commitment to creation, even when it went astray from his purpose. God intervened time and again, especially to reveal his love and purpose to a chosen people, through whom all the world would be blessed. Then, as we read in today's epistle, in the fullness of time, love that expression, in the fullness of time, which suggests it was part of the plan. In the fullness of time, the God who created the universe and who had freed and led his people sent his son, born to a humble mother among this people, 
so that his purpose might finally be fulfilled. God had to come in person. (laughs) Nothing less would work, would do. And what is that purpose Jesus came to fulfill? Paul writes that he came so that we might all be children of God with the spirit of his son in our hearts. God wants us to be as intimate with God as Jesus was with his father in calling him Abba, which I understand in Aramaic is the equivalent of daddy. Can't get much closer. God's purpose is nothing less than for us to share in his kingdom in the order that he has created as members of his own family, working with him toward the triumph of love and life and peace. In today's amazing gospel, we learn from John that the one who, in the fullness of time, appeared as as the baby of a lowly mother in a lowly place, had been involved in creation from the beginning. John identifies this one who became flesh and dwelt among us with the word, the logos, the ordering principle through which, through whom all things came to be. Through God's Son, darkness gave way to light and chaos gave way to order in the beginning of creation. And this word actually came to us in Jesus in the flesh so that creation might have a new beginning. As one commentator put it, he is the one who brought the cosmos into being and the one who will bring creation to completion. He came to ensure that God's purpose would not ultimately be thwarted. He would be God's principal agent in the new creation, not by forcing God's will on people, but by winning them over and working in and through them. Maybe this is why it is taking so long. Well, it seems long to us, 2,000 years, you know. Uh, this is maybe why it seems so long that it's taking so long for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has to work with us, after all. But it is the, that is the only way sort of uh, um, seducing us into this life in Christ and this ministry. That's the only way that is consistent with love, which is the essence of God's nature. God doesn't force us. God invites us. God uh, draws us. Because of God's loving outreach in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the grace to reflect God's image in our lives, which God intended from the beginning of creation. You remember God made male and female in his image. We sort of, that sort of got obscured or marred, but the potential was still there, and Jesus came to bring out that potential. We're all to represent God in Christ. So there's more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, there are horrors. Uh, but there are wonders going on as well. One of the most beautiful prayers in our prayer book, which is used at all ordinations, calls the church, that is us, a wonderful and sacred mystery through which God is providentially working out the plan of salvation. We pray in this prayer that the whole world may see and know what is happening fundamentally despite the continuation of evil. The prayer affirms that, and I'm quoting, 
Things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born in Bethlehem and died on the cross, but who is now alive and who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Grace and divine power are at work, even when we least expect or perceive this. And sometimes we're uh, startled to, to realize this. Take St. Paul as an example. Uh, he tells us in his famous conversion story about God taking hold of his life. And in his case, the voice of Jesus gave him, shall we say, marching orders. Get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Wouldn't we all like that kind of specificity <laughs> in giving us a plan, giving us specifics? But we are all called to represent Christ this way. Paul was, caused to, was called to be Christ's witness to the world of what he had seen and heard. Same is true for us in various ways. Paul could have said no, just as the Virgin Mary could have said no. But at the Spirit's prompting, they went along with God's plan, and we are here in church today because they said yes. And if we keep saying yes, people are going to be here in 100 years and 200 years, and so on. The letter to the, the Ephesians declares that God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand to be our way of life. That reminds some of us, anyway, of that post-communion prayer in Rite 1 that refers to uh, all, the, all such good works as thou hast prepared for us to walk in. Isn't that kind of nice to think? God has prepared for us to walk in these good ways. And this is not predestination, but it is the result of God's work among us. God has paved the way in Christ we are to follow. And this is God's way of being in charge. It's not in charge in a worldly way, but in a godly way. Christmas alerts us to God's hand at work in the world around us in surprising and wonderful ways. One of the monks of the Society of St. John the Evangelist uh, recently urged us to open our eyes to the abundant and amazing grace around us which can overcome any obstacle. He writes, stop and look for any kind word or act of charity, any generosity or forgiveness, any sharing or respect. Thank God for what you see. Receive the joy. The challenges won't vanish. But do you sense the grace, the joy of God with you? The kingdom breaking in all around. We had some similar words of wisdom about the, the sort of uh, uh, sometimes hard to see nature of the kingdom in our letter from our dear Amber Cannon Carswell in her recent letter telling us that she's moving soon to Calvary Church, Memphis. Uh, Amber reflected on um, St. Paul's uh, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and this is Almost a quotation, not quite, of what Amber uh, said in part. 
Keep at your work, Paul says. The hope of Christ is that what you've done in this world, when it doesn't like you, when it doesn't look like you once thought it should, when your work among the poor feels like a drop in the ocean, when you wonder if teaching little kids to sing or sew or sketch on Wednesday afternoons will amount to anything, when the road turns and when what you've expected seems to have vanished, remember that it has gone off to glory, woven into a heavenly tapestry that will be unveiled in the redemption of our world. In Christ, our labor is not in vain. Christ takes up all our good works and makes, makes more of them than we can ask or imagine. This message from Amber well expresses the wonder and joy of God with us, working his purpose out in the midst of the changes and chances of this life. We might have known that Canon Carswell would go into theological depth, even as she is about to take a new step in God's unfolding plan. As I said in my Christmas Day sermon, we certainly don't have it all figured out, but God does. Thanks be to God who came to us in the flesh to lighten our darkness and to give us profound hope. Amen.